0: And uh, really glad to be with you this morning. As Noah said, just a couple things to um, recap on, on his announcements. Uh, for you guys. you're going to want to jump into uh, that, uh, the book club this week. It's the second meeting covering Tim Keller's book on prayer. Um, awesome, awesome book. Um, So you're going to want to check that out. You can sign up for that at the welcome table. Great place for you to connect, especially if you're newer to the church or you're not quite um, really ingrained in community yet. You don't know a ton of people. That's just a great place for you to connect. And then as well, we have a few weeks left of our union groups. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have groups on all those nights. Um, Jump into one of those. That would be good and beneficial for you. And then as well, just this summer, we have a good amount of things coming up. We're praying for continued momentum this summer. Um, And every season in the last year, um, and even prior to our launch, the Lord has, has, has really blessed us in different ways in different seasons. Last summer uh, it was really a season of, of growth for us. Um, we added a, a lot of solid people and families, uh, saw some conversions, and we, we, we just trust and pray and hope that the Lord will continue to do the same this summer. Summer is normally kind of a downtime for churches, so we're hoping that God continues to uh, give us grace in that area and, and, and grow us. And, Add to us and uh, save people, and and all the things that we want Him to do. We, we're praying for that this summer. So we would just love for you to join us in prayer. Looking forward to summer. A couple things coming up. We're going to have a summer kickoff, June 30th, I believe. Yeah, June 30th. Um, so that's one of we do a few of those um, invite days a year. It's just a good place to kind of f- hone in on for those who you're trying to invite to church. We'll do lunch. We'll have fun stuff for the kids, that sort of thing. We just have a good time after church. Um, We'll uh, probably um, continue our study in John, uh, June 30th, but um, we'd, you know have some extra fun stuff going on. So I'd love to have you join in inviting people to church and be thinking about who you'd like to invite. We all have people in our lives who need to be at church, who need to hear the gospel, who need to meet Jesus, or who maybe are Christians but are de-churched, they're disillusioned, they just don't go to church. They're not members of a church. We all have folks in our life like that. And so we try to cultivate a few days, in particular, a year where it's just easy to invite people to. And so we will have one of those days this summer, uh, June 30th. Few other ways uh, that you can be involved this summer in uh, helping as, as members here, um, as um, Uh, part of the Union Church family, in helping build momentum this summer. Um, Ultimately, we know that Jesus Christ is the one who builds his church, amen? Jesus adds to his church. The Lord added, uh, Acts 2 says that the Lord added to their number, day after day, those who were being saved. God builds his church, but God gives us means through which he generally works, to build his church. And he calls us to be a part of those means and he uses us as means. So a few ways you can be involved. Number number one, invite people to church. Invite people to church. The single most practically, humanly speaking, the single most effective way to bring people to a church is by personal invitation. We do some other things in an effort to, uh, you know, share what we're doing with others and, and get them here so they can hear the gospel, get in community. You know, there's thousands of lonely people out there um, with thousands of neighbors around them who they never talk to, they just go home, they eat frozen pizza, and that's it. They just live their lives. People need to be connected into community. That's what we're made for. Additionally, people need to hear the gospel and become Christians. There's like 70,000 people in our city. How many of them do you think are Christians? On any given Sunday, there's only like 8,000 people in our city in church. That means there's like 60,000 that aren't. Okay, so that's a big number. So if you look around at the empty seats in this room, there's a lot of space to be filled. We've been going for a year. We're at a really good spot. We're excited about what God has for us and what he's done among us and what he's continuing to do. We're encouraged. We trust. We hope that he will continue to move, and we have no reason to think otherwise. He's been very good to us thus far. But friends, there are 60,000 people in our city that need to be in church not just so we can fill buildings, but so people can hear the gospel, be saved, get plugged into community, join a church family, know the grace of Jesus Christ. So number one, you can invite people to church. You can invite people to church. I read a stat recently. I don't think this is true among us. You guys are very good at this, actually, um, it, I learned from many of you all the time. I talk to you like, oh, I invited so and so to church. I'm like, man, that encourages me. I got to just continue to do that as well with those who I'm in a relationship with that are not Christians. But I read a stat of, about the church at large 95% of evangelical Christians have not invited anybody to church in the last year. That's, that should not be. I mean, that's a pretty gross statistic. So invite people to church, be bringers, be inviters, be excited about what God's doing. Come here to receive, but also bring others here to receive. You can invite people to church. Number two, attend consistently. Attend consistently. We we all go on vacations, amen, that's very needed. We're gonna be gone for a week in August, Lord willing. Um, But attend consistently. Do your vacation, do your thing. But when you're in town, don't skip church. Don't skip church. If you feel like you don't need to be at church, A, you're wrong. Number two, as you, if you are a member here, it's not just you that's being hurt, it affects everybody. You're part of a whole. You're part of a larger family. So when you think to yourself, I don't need to be at church, I'm just gonna skip it. You know, stuff comes up in life, I get that. That's not what I'm talking about though. When you just skip church because you feel like skipping church, guess what? You're hurting the family. It's not good for the family. It's not healthy for the family. So part of our effort to build momentum, we want our members to be here consistently. Invite people to church. Attend ch- church consistently, yourself. Uh, number three, give generously. If you're a member at the church, we would ask you to give generously. You signed it in your covenant. It's part of what you've agreed to. Please give generously. That's gonna look different for all of you. For some people, you should be giving ridiculously to the kingdom. For some of you, hey, <laughs> start somewhere. Start somewhere. You might be a poor, broke student. Start somewhere. Give generously. Invite people, attend consistently, give generously. And number four, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for the lost in our city. Pray that they would meet Jesus. Pray that God's sovereign hand would draw them to our church, to any other faithful church that preaches the gospel. Pray that we would be used for the salvation of sinners. Pray that we would be used for the building up of saints. Pray that we would be used to reach people. Pray, 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 we would ask. Invite people, attend consistently, give generously, and friends, pray. That's how you can be involved in any season. <clears throat> but in particular, as we look forward to the summer, we're praying for God to continue to work, we're praying for God to continue to add, we're praying for God to continue to bless Union Church. So join us in those ways, amen? All right, John 15, we're gonna jump in to our text. I'm gonna read it for us, and we're gonna go ahead and get started. John 15, verses one through eight. Start with me in verse one. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I want you to consider for a moment those closest to you in life, your spouse, your friends, your family, those who you share life with, really. And you're all wise people, so the people that you choose to spend life with, that you choose to share your life with, to varying degrees, I would guess, are quality people. Not perfect, but quality people. And you would imagine or you know from experience that as you share life with others, a couple of things happen and one of them is that you begin to become like each other. You begin to pick up traits from each other. You begin to learn from each other and over time you realize, man, I've, I've been influenced by you a lot. I've learned from you a lot, from us sharing life together. I've, I've picked up some, some qualities. I'm more like you than I was before we were sharing life together. That's what happens when we have close friends and Spouse and family and people we do life with. And the same is true, except to an infinitely greater degree, with God. The analogy that Jesus uses here, he says that he is the vine and we are branches. We're connected to him as Christians. We're connected to his life. He's actually brought us in to his life. He is our life source. We receive our spiritual life from him. One of the things that means then is that when we look at God, we're connected to God. When we look at God, everything God does is fruitful, isn't it? Everything God does ultimately is always fruitful. Everything he does is good and necessary and holy and just and productive and beneficial. Everything he does is fruitful. He is the ultimate fruit bearer. So then for us, when we are connected to God, when we're connected to the life of God, one thing that happens is then we bear fruit. Fruit. If God's the ultimate fruit bearer, we're connected to him, we are sharing in his life because of his grace, we then will start to become like him. One of the things that means, maybe the primary thing that means is that we will bear fruit like him. We will bear fruit like him. And this is really the big idea of what Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's Thursday evening. The next day on Friday, he'll be crucified. He's spending the last evening of his earthly ministry with them. And he's teaching them. He's preparing them for his death, for his departure, and he's teaching them. And this is what he's teaching them here. You as a Christian... If you are connected to the vine, to the life source, to me, Jesus says, you will bear fruit. I want you to have a fruitful life, a fruitful ministry. We want you to bear fruit. Christians will bear fruit. Uh, Matthew 7, 17 through 20, earlier in Jesus' ministry, he said this, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire, that's hell. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He says this, that a Christian tree bears Christian fruit. A tree that is connected to Christ, a branch that is connected to the vine of Christ will bear Christian fruit, period. And one that's not, will not bear Christian fruit. A Christian tree will not all of a sudden bear Christian fruit. It will bear dead fruit. It will bear barren fruit. It will bear toxic fruit. Fruit that's no good. It's useless. It's a waste. It's not fruit at all. Colossians 1.10. So Paul prays this for the church at Colossae. He says, we pray that, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Philippians 11 is prayer for that church. He says this, that we pray that you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the vine, to the glory and praise of God. So fruit is a big deal in scripture. It's a big deal to Jesus, and he says, you will bear fruit. In 1 John John wrote this gospel. He also wrote 1 John, same author. And he says this that there are some people that say, I'm a Christian, I walk in the light, I know Jesus, but yet they actually walk in darkness. Their lives don't reflect the fact that they know him, they actually don't bear fruit. And John says this that if you walk in the darkness but say you walk in the light, that you're a liar. His words, not mine, that you're a liar. That was me before I was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I was a liar. I was lying to myself. I was lying to others. I was lying to God. And thousands of people are in that exact state in our culture, friends. Thousands of people. It's the predominant non-Christian in our culture thinks they're a Christian. John says they're lying. Jesus says they're lying. They're not bearing fruit. So fruit. Fruitfulness, very important. and we need to qualify this as well, that yes, the primary mark, the primary mark probably of a true disciple is manifestation of fruit, okay? That's a genuine disciple, that's the primary mark. But we need to qualify this as well because <clears throat> we're not saved by fruit, right? We're not saved by good works, the gospel is this, that we are disconnected from God by nature and by choice. Everybody is disconnected from God. Jesus comes, God comes to earth, and he rescues us. He lives the perfect life that we can ever live. He dies a death in our place for our sins, bearing on himself all the punishment and wrath of God. And he raises from death to newness of life and victory over sin and the grave and the curse. And then he gives that to us as a gift if we believe in him and have faith in him. That's the gospel. That's how we are saved. We don't do anything to contribute to that. We're not saved by fruit. We are saved to fruit. We're not saved by good works. We're saved to good works. Ephesians 2, we, we turn here often. Um, it's just a really helpful passage on this. It lays this idea out clearly. should be on your screen. Idea, uh, Ephesians Two, verses one through five, Paul says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he says, all of us were among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following our desires and thoughts and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a pretty clear picture. If you've ever driven down the road saw some this week, some really gross roadkill, just bleh, right over, just there, the guts spilled out, it's a dead animal, it was alive, it was running across the road, bam, dead, it's dead. Okay, that's what we're like before Christ. We're like dead roadkill. So well, that's very offensive, that doesn't help my self-esteem, I don't like to hear that. Well, that's what, that's what he says. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead like roadkill, Jesus comes and makes us alive. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God comes and makes us alive. You don't see many dead animals on the side of the road saying, you know, I think I'm gonna earn my way back to being alive. I'm going to get up, go gather some acorns, pay off the head squirrel, and we'll all be good after that. That's not how it works. He's dead. He's dead. He has to be revived, resuscitated, resurrected. That's what Jesus does to our souls. So we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. He just goes through pain, laborious, painstaking verse after verse to make this super clear for us. By grace you've been saved. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Again, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Okay, You can't get any more clear than that. No works are involved in this process. Some of you have been taught you know, you, you got you to earn God's favor and you've got you to do a bunch of stuff to, to earn his grace, you got to do stuff to where he looks at you and says, you know, he deserves it. He deserves it. They're, these people don't, but he deserves it. Not how it works. By grace we've been saved. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first thing whole part of ephesians 2 you're dead god saves you by grace there's nothing you and i did to contribute to that or to earn that or to merit that and then the second part he tells us but here's what you're saved to four good works that god prepared in advance that you should walk in them even the good works that are prepared for us is by grace it's all by grace but that's what we're saved to not saved by fruit we are saved to fruit fruit is the result of of being connected to Christ. And this is fundamental to biblical Christianity. This is cornerstone, foundational, basic, fundamental stuff, and yet it's been largely ignored or at best forgotten in our Western culture. The goal of, part of the goal in our, in, of people in, in, in a culture like ours, in, a West, in the Western culture, is personal. Personal achievement, personal fulfillment, personal feeling, personal advancement, personal well being, personal security, personal satisfaction, hyper individualism. This then gets imported into Western Christianity, different than biblical Christianity. And Western Christianity then becomes about personal, personal decision. Personal feeling, personal relationship with Jesus, subjective, internal. As long as I feel good about where I am with God, then I'm good. That's the main authority. As long as I feel like I'm okay with Christ, I might not know him at all. I might not desire to love him or to be fruitful or to grow in him. Could be anywhere on the spectrum. But as long as I feel good about where I'm at with Christ, then I'm all good. You know what? You can't judge me. And you can't speak into my life. And if you tell me things I disagree with, I'm gonna get mad or I'm gonna just blow you off. That's Western Christianity, largely. That's not biblical Christianity. The biblical reality is very different. The biblical reality is this, that the first goal is not subjective happiness, but objective holiness, The first goal is not subjective happiness. Does God want you to be subjectively happy? Does he? Yes, he does. God's all for you being subjectively happy, for sure. The first goal is objective holiness. True happiness will come from holiness. Happiness without holiness, happiness without knowing God, without loving God, without obeying God is just temporary happiness. Yes, God wants us to be subjectively happy. He wants us to be objectively holy first. The goal of Christianity, of biblical Christianity, is objective holiness. It's not personal enrichment, personal fulfillment, personal advancement, but to know God and to grow with God. To know and grow with God and with others, with the family that God's grafted us into, with His church. And friends, there is true fulfillment. Knowing and growing with God and knowing and growing with God's people, that's true fulfillment. That's where it's found. Here, Jesus teaches that this will be demonstrated by fruitfulness. That biblical Christianity, the biblical Christian to actually be connected to Christ, this will be demonstrated in our lives by fruitfulness. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes the There's a branch that's dead and there's a branch that's living and the branches that are living, they bear fruit. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The branch that abides in Christ bears much fruit Does it start off as a flourishing, just teeming branch with all kinds of fruit and life and stuff going on? No, it starts small, but it is consistent, it's continual, and the fruit grows. It grows. The living branches bear fruit. They bear fruit. So, what is fruit? God desires fruit for your life, friend, Church, He desires fruit for us together. He desires fruit for us as a church. So what is fruit? What is fruit? What are we talking about? What does it mean? What does it look like? First thing we have to say is that some of you maybe have been taught that fruit is do, 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 do. Do more. Do it better. Do it faster. Do more. Do, do, do. Okay, doing Certainly the work of our hands is one part of fruit, right? That's one part of fruit. But friends, do more, do it better, do it faster, that alone is not fruit. There's much work to be done for sure. And yet, if we just have a do mentality, you know what we're doing? If we think of, hey, fruit is just this, it's keep doing, do more, we're pivoting back into our flesh, we're not living by the spirit, we're, we're pivoting back to who we used to be. I need to earn, I need to do to be favored, I need to do to be loved. None of that's true. Paul says in Galatians three, he says, you who begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We can't be perfected by the flesh. So fruit is, when, when I say fruit, I don't want you to just think, I gotta do more stuff, I gotta attend more things, I gotta do, do, do. the. Work of our hands is part of it. Don't write the whole thing off, okay? Don't just say, I can sit back, do nothing, and everything's good. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that doing more is not all we're talking about. Don't just think doing. The gospel is not, look at all I have to do. The gospel is, look at all that I've received, I don't want us to think just what do I have to do, but instead, who am I being shaped into? Do you hear me on that? I don't want us to think only what do I have to do, but instead, who am I being shaped into? Who is the gospel shaping me into? And as a result of my connection to Christ, what do I work towards? Not just what's the list of stuff I gotta do to please God, but who is God shaping me into? Who is the gospel shaping me into? And what is it that I'm working towards? In light of my connection to Christ, in light of being saved by grace, what am I working towards? What am I working towards? So what then are we looking for? What does fruit look like? What ought our lives exhibit? I'm gonna give you a few fundamental aspects of fruit for you to consider meditate on. Number one, repentance. Repentance is a fruit. Repentance is a fruit that we realize that we get saved and we realize God is good and God is gracious and God came down and God saved me. I was going this way and God turned me around. I was heading down to hell and God intervened and and brought me up. I didn't do that. God did that. And so I'm walking one way and repentance is literally turning and walking the other way. I'm walking towards sin and I say no to sin now because God saved me and had grace on me and I'm turning and walking toward God. I'm saying no to sin and yes to God. I'm killing my flesh and feeding my spirit. Repentance. And sometimes we just think of repentance as a one-time act. I become a Christian, repent, done. Done. Certainly, there's a one-time repentance as a response to what God's doing in our heart, but repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance ought to be daily, friends. That's why we say it's a fruit. Are you repenting daily? It's a fruit. Because you know what? We walk towards sin daily. We have to say no and walk towards God. It's not just, sorry, God, messed up. Uh, You know, real sorry, feel real bad. I'm gonna go walk towards you now. That's not real repentance, actual sorrow before God. Not I got caught, not something's gonna go bad, but godly sorrow. I don't want this. I want God. I don't wanna keep sinning. I wanna grow in holiness. We turn back towards God. Martin Luther says in his, the number one on his list of 95, his 95 thesis, he says, a Christian's life should be one of continual Repentance. Repentance. Matthew 4, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's preaching repentance. Repentance is a fruit. Number two, joy. Joy. We are saved. God brought us into his life, into his family. He's given us new purpose, new mission, new belonging, new <clears throat> identity. Our relationship with God changes, and as a result of our relationship with God changing, everything else changes. As a result of our relationship with God changing, All of our other relationships change. Everything in our life changes. If you are a peasant in a kingdom and all of a sudden the king welcomes you into his castle and says, you can now come and sit in my court. Here's some royal clothes. Sit at the king's table. Guess what? Everything in your life has now changed. That's what happens when we become Christians. We're acquainted with the king. We're in the family of the king. you know what? There's nothing better. There's nothing better there's nothing more joyful than knowing God. Joy from God, joy in God. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore." Joy is a fruit. Repentance joy number 3, peace. Peace is a fruit. We saw that last week. Jesus said, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, but my peace I give to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Peace. Not the alleviation of all outward circumstances. Not the alleviation of worldly suffering, but stability within suffering. Comfort, rest, hope. Security, even in the storm, that's peace. Peace is a fruit. Love is a fruit. John 12, 24, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Love is a fruit. Seeking the good of another without selfish motives. Being committed to the good of another. Seeking their good. Serving them. Well, without selfish motives, just to bless them, just to love them, just to care for them, seeking the good of another. Repentance, joy, peace, love, mission, being a witness to the world. Jesus says in John 14, 12, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this, he says, everyone who's in me will also do the works that I do. Jesus was a man on mission. He was a man on mission. He cared deeply about the lost, didn't he? He died for the lost, he trained a bunch of guys to reach the lost after he finished the work of the gospel and ascended. Jesus was a man on mission. We then get to, be, get to have and present and display a gospel witness to our city and to the world. Fruit, fruit. Is fruit manifest in your life? Is repentance happening regularly in your life? Or do you forget about your sin? Do you assume, presume on God's grace? Are you joyful? Do you actually take joy in God? Not circumstantial happiness. If I get a new iPhone, I'm real happy. Sweet, got a new phone. And I drop that phone, breaks, not happy anymore. That's not joy, that's temporal happiness. There's a joy that's rooted in God, in who he is, in what he's done, in how he views us, how he loves us, that's unshakable. Are you experiencing that joy? Are you finding it in God? Peace in all of the, many of the epistles, the authors of the epistles open up with a very common greeting. They say grace and peace to you. Are you experiencing God's peace? If you are not, let me say it this way, you're not understanding or realizing God's grace. Grace is what God gives. Peace is the result. You're trusting God and his grace do you have peace in life? Not ignorance, but true peace in Christ, from Christ, with Christ. Love, friends, are you loving one another? Is the fruit of love manifest in your life? Seeking the good of another, caring about the needs of others, actually considering others, not just thinking about our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. You know, there's a difference between being nice and polite. We think that niceness and politeness is like love. It's not. be nice and polite, and that can be maybe part of an expression of that, but that's not love. Being nice to people is good, but it's not love. Being polite is good, but it's not love. Love pursues. Love goes after. Love initiates. Not just to say thank you and talk really nicely and hold the door open. As good as those things are, love is deeper than that. It's more than that are you seeking the good of others and and first the others in your front yard your family your wife your husband your children but does it go beyond the front yard as well love and mission friends are you on mission do you care about the lost is this a priority in your life is fruit being manifest in your life i hope it is i hope it is if not we need to start at the top with repentance start with that fruit god's given us the gift of repentance that we can then be fruitful, repenting. God, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I want to be fruitful. I want to exhibit your life from my life because of what you've done, because I'm connected to the vine. Help me be fruitful. Give me a desire to be fruitful so that fruit may be made manifest. The true disciple is fruitful. That was our first point. Don't know if I said that or not. Don't know if it matters. The first point was the true disciple is fruitful. The second point is this, the true disciple is pruned. The true disciple is pruned. Some branches are connected to the life. They're connected to the vine, so they bear fruit. Some, on the other hand, are attached to the vine in some way, but are not connected to the life of the vine, and they don't bear fruit. They're barren and dead. They don't bear fruit. Verse two, every... Branch that does not bear fruit, the father, the vine dresser, the gardener, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire. There are some branches that are connected to the life, bear fruit. There are some that are attached in some way, but are really not connected to the life of God. This has always been the case. This has always been the case. You read your Old Testament, there is instance after instance after instance of people being somehow attached to God. I'm part of Israel. I'm part of the covenant community. I'm in this thing. I'm Jewish. They're attached, but they're not connected to God. They don't actually know God. They don't actually love God. We see this over and over again. God deplores that people prancing around Israel in his name, offering sacrifices who don't actually have any love for him. They're using him for whatever other ulterior motives or just out of tradition, but they don't actually love him. We see that all through Scripture. We see it in the New Testament. Paul says that there are some people that have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They look all godly, they say godly things, but but they're not actually godly. They don't actually love God. We saw this in John 6 where there's literally a mass exodus of maybe thousands of disciples. Jesus says, look, this is who I am. If you you don't like it, you need to leave. I want you to stay. I want you to eat from this bread. I want you to partake in me. But I'm not just gonna feed you every day. I'm not just gonna give you what you want. This is who I am. Come and eat, and they leave. They had some attachment to him, but they didn't persevere they weren't truly connected to the life. We see this today. Again, as I told you, this was me before I was a Christian. Just some vague attachment, no real life. This is thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our city today. The father cuts off the dead branches. He, he takes them away and he prunes the living ones. This is the father's role. Verse 1: I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser or the, the gardener. My father is the gardener. And here's what the father does: he's outside the vine, he's outside the branches, he's tending to the branches, and he cuts away the lifeless and cultivates the living. He destroys the fruitless branches and he disciplines the fruitful. The father removes the barren branches and he prunes the fruitful branches. Prune definition means this. Trim by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. To prune is to trim or cut away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. Sometimes fruit is growing and it's good and it's healthy, but you know what? There's other stuff that's growing with it. There's branches that come up and stubs and leaves and all kinds of stuff, and it doesn't have any room to grow. It gets smothered. It gets stifled. There's there's no more room. It can't continue to grow and be healthy. The fruit's gonna get sick. It's gonna max out. Its capacity is gonna be... Realized it can't increase. I was on a walk uh, recently, walk up the street down North Beach area, and I was with my wife Maddie, and we were looking at um, a big vine that was growing on someone's uh, fence in their front yard. And she pointed out how the vine was alive, it was thriving, but it was just a mess. It was shaggy, it was shabby, it just was kind of everywhere, just disheveled, and it, it needed some pruning. It could be a healthy, beautiful, thriving, vibrant vine, but it was, it was a mess. It needed to just snip, 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 just somebody just go in there and just shear off all the excess stuff so it could look beautiful and it could keep growing and be fruitful. Okay, that's what pruning is. So God prunes. He trims. He cuts. He shears. He slices the dead and the overgrown and the stuff that's stifling the growth of the fruit. And it's painful. It's painful. F- friends, have you ever been pruned? Have you ever been pruned? God prunes. He prunes the fruitful so they can bear more fruit. Have you ever been pruned? Has God ever pruned you? I'll give you a couple examples as I was trying to think about it from my life, um, that when we first started this church, that before we started this church, we were in the process of starting it, and early, early on, in the core team phase, gathering a core team, people who wanted to be on mission, people who wanted to see God do something in San Clemente, people who, who, who wanted to see the Lord move and wanted to be involved in that, and as we started to gather a team, and people started to get committed, and just, yeah, I'm on board, I love this, Everything's going great and started to get some momentum. Things started to grow. Things started to come in place. It's a long process, but things were moving along. And over time, some of those people just one by one, not all of them, not even most of them, but some of them just started leaving, gone. I can think of people in my mind just gone. Nothing bad, no weird breakup, no weird tension, just I'm out. Sometimes stated, usually not, just left. Some of them just had other stuff going on. Some of them just stopped going to church, at least largely. Friends, that's pruning. That's pruning. Because you know what? That's hard. For me, that was hard. For our little core group, that was challenging. Ended up God was good and we were okay, we were fine. But particularly emotionally, personally, that's challenging, it's pruning. It's pruning. I remember the first times that I started preaching, I was at a church and I was doing young adult college ministry, I would teach every week there and got the chance to start preaching regularly, you know, semi-regularly on Sundays, multiple times a year and, you know, had good success in our um, college ministry. And you know, knew how to to, I knew how to teach the Bible, I thought, that sort of thing, and started preaching, and I realized, this sucks. Like, my preaching sucks. I thought it was pretty good, but it's not. That's pruning. I had a pastor who was gracious enough to allow me to continue to get at bats and grow and learn and just go through the process, but that's pruning. That's pruning. He give you examples from marriage. You think you're doing stellar, and you realize, I haven't been serving my spouse in the way that I really need to be. I haven't been loving, caring for, pursuing in the way that I need to be. Think of relationship with friends. Kind of assume everything's fine, not being a good friend, and you realize, I haven't been a good friend. I'm sorry, I apologize. That's pruning. That's pruning. How have you been pruned? Pruned how have you been pruned? Let me ask it this way. How is God keeping you dependent on him? How is God keeping you humble? Because that's what this is. That's what pruning is. We get, we're a little branch, okay? Not that big of a deal. We're connected to the the great big vine, and that's a big deal, but we're a little branch, And yet we start to grow some fruit and the fruit gets big and it grows and it's thriving. And then we, this little branch, we start to think, you know, I'm good. I'm I'm a pretty big deal. I'm doing well. I got some stellar fruit. It's awesome. And God humbles us. We get big and we grow some big fruit and we think, well, we forget about the vine. We forget that we're connected to the vine. We forget that we're totally dependent on the vine for all life. We have no life apart from the vine. Jesus says that, apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, it's like, I look, I look at my children, particularly, especially Mabel, who's not even a year and a half, and I say, literally, apart from me, you can do nothing you can do nothing. It's like that with God, except infinitely more. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We forget that we're attached to the vine, connected to the vine, and we're totally dependent on the vine. So the father, the gardener, he humbles us. He prunes us. He cuts back some of the junk in there, the ways that we think, how we feel about ourselves, our high view of ourselves, Our misplaced priorities and loves, so that we don't get puffed up and off track, headed to destruction. He cuts us back to bring us to the right place that we can bear more fruit. So, how is God pruning you? In addition, how do you respond to pruning? When God does prune, how do you respond to pruning? Do you complain? Do you get angry? Do you act like a victim? Do you murmur? Or do you recognize the evidence of God's grace in your life and submit to God? Look, I'm not talking about flowery sentiment. God, thank you for all the pruning and all the suffering and all the hard things. I, I love all of that stuff. I'm not talking about that. That's not, sometimes life is hard and it just stinks, doesn't it? It's not, I'm not saying we gotta pretend like everything's all good all the time. What I am talking about is that God in us, he, he, he prunes us to develop within us a deep trust in him, a deep dependence, sense of desperate need for our connection to the vine even when things are the hardest Romans 8:28 a verse that you know well God works everything together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose God works everything together for good even the hard stuff yes even the hard stuff in fact it's his it's part of his plan in your life that's why it's called grace It's a grace that grows us. It's a grace that changes us. It's the grace that cuts away the dead stuff that we can be more fruitful. God works all that together for good for those who love God, for those who have been brought into God's family. And the Father prunes. The Father prunes. We grow in trust, dependence, and humility, and this increases fruit and effectiveness in life. No fruit... No fruit, your life shows little or no evidence. That means you're not a Christian. Every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Worst thing you could do is fool yourself, convince yourself everything's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, no need to worry, like what you're saying, Aaron, but I'm fine, I was watching that old show, Dirty Jobs, you guys remember that show, and that guy, Mike Rowe, walks into this chicken coop, there's just hundreds of chickens around everywhere, and he goes, what's going on with these chickens, what's the deal here, and the guy goes, oh, they're all going to the slaughterhouse in about an hour, and gonna die, and he looks around, and he goes, nothing to worry about, everything's fine, to all the chickens. I just thought it was really funny. But that's like what we do to ourselves. Everything's fine. No problems here. All good. Keep doing what you're doing. Where Jesus says, no, the worst, that's the worst thing you could do. The best thing you could do is go back to that first fruit, repent, turn to God. Repent and turn to God. God has given us the gift of repentance. God will graft us in to the vine of Christ. But for Christians, for you Christians, I want you to listen to me on this. God will do whatever he needs to do to cause fruit in your life. God will do whatever it takes to cause fruit in your life. God might have to cut, chop, slice, shear, Maybe God's doing that right now. He might have to do that and he will do that because God is deeply committed to fruit in your life. Remember, we're not saved by fruit, we're saved to fruit. And for those of us who are Christians, kind of fruitless, God will change that. And he'll do whatever it takes. God will not let you live a fruitless life forever as a Christian. But man, he might have to do some hard pruning, some serious chopping, some serious cutting because he's deeply committed to fruit in your life. And his commitment to your fruit bearing and my fruit bearing is far greater than your commitment to comfort, than your commitment to fun, then your commitment to work, to making money? If you sacrifice your family or God or your your, your your church family or worship to God on the altar of success and money in the name of I need to provide for my family, if you're in Christ, God will change that. God's commitment to you bearing fruit is greater than your commitment to anything else. Do you know that? Friends, this is a hopeful thing for us. If you are a Christian, God will not let you languish. God will not let you languish. If you're connected to the vine, he will pump his life into you as a branch, but he might have to trim and it might be painful, but he will do it. He will do it. Well, we had a whole nother point to cover and uh, we're gonna do that next week. Um, we get to respond this morning now, church, to what God wants to do in you, in me, in us. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Friends, it's, it's, it's good news that when God chooses to love you, when God sets his, sets his affection on you, when God makes promises to you, that you will be fruitful, you will be loved, you will be built, you will be grown. When he makes his mind up about that, his mind never changes. And that's a good thing, friends. That's a good thing. We get to respond and worship now to the fact that God is good and faithful in our lives, that God will bear fruit through you, through us as a church. We get to thank him for that, and we get to ask him to do the work of fruit bearing. Amen? Father God, we pray that you would do the work of bearing fruit in us. We trust you as the great gardener that you will chop and trim and cut and shear whatever you need to. And Jesus, we trust you as the true vine that as we, got are connected to you, you give us life. You give us direction. You give us hope. You give us joy. You give us the gift of repentance. You give us peace. You give us patience. You give us all kinds of fruit, God. All of it's from you. All of it's from you. And we ask for more fruit. Make us a more fruitful people, a more fruitful church. All for your glory. For the glory of the great I am, the true vine. Amen.